don't listen to this podcast if you don't want to hear me uh, say kind of creepy things about Ryan's dad because maybe you're underage. Internet Explorer is a podcast that contains adult themes like the weird, flirty relationship that my dad and Katie are slowly developing. Hey, Buzz, what's up? Please don't fuck my dad. Don't fuck my dad, Katie. <laughs> don't you fuck my dad, Katie. <laughs> the idea that I could be your stepmom is like pretty appealing. Just call me mom. You can just call me mom. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of Internet Explorer from BuzzFeed. I'm Katie Natopoulos. And I'm Ryan Broderick. Today, we're going to talk about some stuff. That's, you know, because it's a podcast, we talk about stuff, that's what we do. You're nailing this intro, Katie. You're doing yeah, it. I'm, I believe I'm, in you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Just, I... I pointed out for the fences, and I, I, I swung, and it's a home run. Webster's Dictionary defines podcast as... <laughs> <laughs> Our first guest this week is Hussein Kezvani, a uh, BuzzFeed reporter based in London with me, and we're going to Skype in Katie so she can find out what it feels like to be the fucking person on the other end of a video call. How do you feel, Katie? How do you like it? <laughs> yeah, so far so bad. And then our second guest is going to be Skyped in from D.C., and it's a, a reporter that works for BuzzFeed named Ellie Hall. And Hussein and Ellie are, I would say, they're the two best people to talk to at BuzzFeed about ISIS. Yeah. So, you know, ISIS, unlike other terrorist organizations, is really active on the Internet and social media, and it's kind of fascinating, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that stuff. You know, if you love world events and the internet, guess what? This is a podcast for you, but we're really sorry about the sound quality in this episode. So this week we're talking about ISIS. They are the second worst scourge of the internet. You know, second to, of course, Reddit. <laughs> Strong agree. Yeah, right? You know, I think the terrorist group that actually kills people is way less bad than the group of men who talk about boobies and butts in video games. Yeah. So ISIS is an interesting thing because they're a terrorist group, but they have social media managers and they do like weird hashtags and they share memes and it just feels like this weird mix of like the worst of millennial culture and then radical Islam and violence. It sort of makes sense to me. I mean, it's like it's a lot of young people. Young people all use social media. Why would they not? Right. And like I kind of got obsessed with ISIS and their Internet footprint uh, last January when I wrote a story about a meme war that they got into with Japanese teenagers. <laughs> Which is like, so a little bit of background, basically like ISIS sit on Twitter all day and just like basically like spread propaganda and be like fucking trolls all the time. And they, they kidnapped a group of Japanese journalists and the response from the Japanese social media was they, they started a hashtag called uh, the crap, the ISIS crappy collage Grand Prix, which is basically like their version of shitty Photoshop. <laughs> And they basically started making crappy photoshops of ISIS members to look like Hello Kitty and like put like lightsabers in their hand and gave them Mickey Mouse ears. And this guy who was following Japanese Twitter at the time, Peter Payne, who works for this like Japanese toy market kind of thing online called JList.com. He gave a statement that said uh, the whole spirit was basically Japanese teenagers telling ISIS that you can kill some of us, but Japan is a peaceful and happy land with fast internet, so go to hell. 
I like how fast internet is part of that thing. It's like you can't get us ISIS. We we're on like T one lines. Yeah, it's like they had to rub it in the fact that like not only like are they not scared of ISIS, but like they have a way better internet connection than ISIS does, which I think <laughs> is just like such a good like ultimate fuck you. It's like oh yeah, I can like load animated gifs super fast, ISIS. <laughs> Like, I don't know, I think that's, like, kind of this weird thing where ISIS is trying to be incredibly intimidating in real life, but then they also, they act like Gamergate on Twitter, so it's, like, this weird mix of scary and then also kind of embarrassing because they're posting, like, like ISIS Pepe frogs and stuff. Right, because, like, in the real world, they are actually, like, killing people and doing terrible things and are actually, like, affecting real-world politics in the area, and on the internet they're kind of just like yeah they're kind of like a gamer gator group they just tweet real hard right <laughs> you can just tweet back at them real hard too they're not going to come get you and they're good with hashtags so like when this whole isis thing goes out of fashion and they all have to like leave the desert and go home i feel like a lot of them could get really nice jobs in manhattan like working for applebee's or tgi fridays and like doing like arabic outreach for kfc like i feel like they've got a really good handle on social media you know we a couple episodes ago we had in amber gordon who used to do she was a tumblr social media person (laughs) for denny's um and i feel like she could really fit right in you you know she's running this website from splain but she maybe should consider joining isis hey if you if you are an ISIS member listening to this, could you please email internetexplorer at buzzfeed.com and let us know if you use Hootsuite or any sort of like dashboard program to handle all of your social media accounts because I have a tough time managing the Internet Explorer, Facebook, and Twitter, and I will totally give you our password and username to run it for us. Right. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think that ISIS is a thing that's going to like go out of fashion and then people are going to be like, well, I'm just not into like... <laughs> ISIS anymore and now I'm going to go like people just don't go like oh it's time to go home now yeah like, I'm going to go get like a secular capitalist job like that's uh, you know that's <laughs> that's not really what is I mean, actually happening in the socio-political climate of the Middle East right now um, well that's I think why that, we have two experts on to talk about it because yeah because we know nothing <laughs> So joining me in the Internet Explorer London studio, and by studio I mean utility closet in the back of the London office, is Hussein Kesvani. Hussein, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. For people who can't see us, which is everyone other than Katie and Julia, me and Hussein are sharing earbuds like uh, two school kids on a bus because that is the high-level production setup we've got going on for them today. <laughs> Um, you guys look like two third graders just really enjoying some awesome, like, Rick Springfield jams in, like, 1985. <laughs> Hussein, uh, we wanted you to come on first and kind of lay the groundwork for us, because sure. me and Katie, we wikipedia this whole ISIS thing, and it seems like we're pretty good experts on it now, but I think <laughs> that you might have a little more expertise about it. So, oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. So first, I mean, I think that the major question of this week's episode is, like, what is the typical profile of an ISIS member? These guys that go from, like, Britain or somewhere in Western yeah. Europe to Syria, like, what are they like? What's the what's the typical image? You can never really say that one person that there's a typical archetypal one. But what we can talk about are the people who are the most vocal. Um, those types of people, people that we know, tend to come from... In, at least in the UK, they tend to come from like quite urban areas of London. A lot of them used to be former rappers, or at least the ones that we know anyway. There's a couple who have done actually quite well in uh, when they were doing music. There's a guy called El Ginny, uh, or we used to go by the name El Ginny. El Ginny. 
Tony Yim released quite an interesting mixtape. Is it good? Uh, was it fire? I, was his mixtape fire? I, I, I liked it a lot. I don't really tell people that, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty into it. <laughs> Can we hear some of that? Well, let me let, let me say, I'm I'm after that. I definitely want to join ISIS. If that's what yeah. they're bumping on their aux cord, like that's where I'm going. <laughs> there was this one guy, Belginny, who we know has gone. We know went to Syria last year. Um, he was actually the guy who everyone thought was Jihadi John to begin with. So I actually had just moved here when the Jihadi John story was starting, and I'm not. I know it was an international story, but also Katie lives in a fucking cave, uh, so she probably has no idea what we're talking about. Oh yeah, um, I know nothing. I I I follow the news zero. All I care about is what's on the uh, you know this something awful comedy gold mine message board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who is Jihadi John? Uh, so Jihadi John was the guy who was. Um, for a very long time, the Western face of ISIS, he did a lot of videos where he publicly executed hostages. They called him Jihadi John apparently because the hostages nicknamed him that uh, because of his British accent. Actually, it might have not been the hostages, it might have been other people, other ISIS members who um, would just identify him using this kind of very thick West London, yeah, West London accent. Supposedly, it was related to uh, John Lennon, but I'm not entirely sure about that. <laughs> How does it usually work that someone um, from the UK hears about ISIS, gets recruited, gets thinking, hey, this is a great idea, and then actually makes the trip there? A lot of them, or like a lot of people that I've spoken to come from like fairly lower middle class backgrounds. Um, some of them actually have really good professional jobs. Like one guy that I spoke to in 2013 was a former city banker, apparently. Um, his reason for joining ISIS was partially as a part of them want to go and they want to go fight Bashar al-Assad, uh, the Syrian, uh, well, some people call him the president of Syria, other people call him the dictator of Syria. Um, so you, can take what, you can take what you want from that. I think it's changed now because that type of narrative no longer exists or it exists to a lesser, lesser capacity. So now people go because some you know, some of them have like feel that it's a religious duty to do it. Like the idea of caliphate is something that's quite strong in like very orthodox narratives of Islam. And, and that means? So that means like the idea of an Islamic state, the idea of like this kind of Islamic utopia where everything is run by, you know, the Quran and like the, like, the Sunnah, which is basically like the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. Right. Um, there's this idea of like returning back to the roots of Islam, and that's kind of what the whole basis of Khilafah, which is the Arabic term for caliphate, actually is. But then other people join for like reasons of like identity, right? So there's a lot of people who say that, you know, we don't belong in Britain. Britain is very like an anti-Muslim country and we would rather go to a place where like Muslims are accepted and they're treated as, you know, treated as they were back in like the days of prophet muhammad so i think there's like there's various reasons why people go and we shouldn't kind of just like compartmentalize it down to like one specific reason mm -hmm. do you think like when westerners try to take an interest in the more mundane aspects like what they share on twitter what they're talking about on facebook do you think understanding the day-to-day -day of isis members is useful in the long run with combating the violence that they're doing uh yes and no i think like so for west for a lot of like Western journalists, for example, they can't really understand like a lot of the Arabic tweets, and the Arabic tweets are really where 
all the like juicy gossip about actually like what ISIS is doing. What's the juiciest? They're... What's some juicy gossip? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think juicy gossip might have not been the right word. <laughs> this is the, where they go plan stuff. This is like where they say, you know, we've captured so and so base, um, captured so and so territory. Um, there are a lot of Arabic tweets which talk about, you know, certain areas. Uh, but they've captured and the people that they've captured. So a lot of the stuff to do with like Yazidi slaves, for example, um, was originally narrated through Arabic accounts, which was then translated and then put forward from Twitter using English language. Again, it kind of varies in terms of like what part of ISIS you're looking at. Like from my knowledge, the English speaking fighters um, or English speaking people who have joined ISIS, a lot of the time they're not really kept in the loop about like big operations. Um, or plans for future operations. So in that sense, like it might not be completely useful. But if we're looking at like if we're looking at the central question about why does why do young Westerners go and join ISIS? Then yeah, these tweets are really important because it shows this gradual transition between someone who has grown you know how mentality changes between someone who's grown up in the West. Um, all the way to this point where, you know, so the, the kid, Riyad Khan, who um, was killed by a drone, the news was the news was out that he was killed by a drone. And that um, happened recently. And that happened and that happened very, very recently. And it's made some headlines uh, because it's the first time the British government have deliberately gone and attacked an ISIS fighter that was British. But some of the tweets that he actually wrote were, you know, he publicly, you know, he very directly said, you know, we've gone and captured slaves and we're going to go have sex with them. Or, you know, I've just executed some, you know, uh, executed some hostages right um and these are things that are very much reality in syria but when we talk about it in the uk there is still a hesitance to actually understand how kids brought up in a british context can go and do things like that my question is sort of how the internet fits into this whole way that isis is operating i mean could isis as it exists now ever exist without social media i mean obviously not but is that what makes it at the core different than anything else that is similar to this that's existed before? Sure, that's a really interesting question. Um, I actually don't think that something like ISIS could have existed in this form. It wouldn't have been able to attract so many Western foreign fighters had it not been for the accessibility of social media. Like Twitter is this really accessible tool that, let's say, for example, like MySpace wasn't back in like the mid 2000s. You know, you can directly contact people. They can send you private messages very easily. And actually, like this is, and also the number of apps—not um, just WhatsApp, but things like Viber, things like um, Telegram—to a lesser extent, Kick now, where ISIS fighters would send like you know instructions about how to get to Syria, or how to get to Iraq um, from wherever country you were from, and they were all sent very discreetly like it was very difficult to detect where that information was so the advancement of these types of technologies are certainly one reason why these kids find it very very easy to go um in terms of social media now at least from the western perspective it's kind of changed so like there's less propaganda directed towards westerners to join on twitter um in part because twitter is like cracking down on um these vices quite a lot it's kind of like whack-a-mole with yeah. like these and services. Also, and also they keep going down. Like, so you'll have an account that exists for a few days, they'll go down and then they'll create a new one and they'll kind of really rejoice in the fact that they've supposedly beaten Twitter because every time Twitter takes down the account, another one will pop up. 
and you know, I don't think Twitter can really do anything to stop that. So in that sense, like that's how they're playing out their war on Twitter. It's like very much like even like social media can't beat us. We're invincible in every single form possible. And it's this really absurd notion, but actually, like among Western fighters who I believe don't really do much on the battlefield, that's their way of fighting pretty much. And for some of them, their role is literally just to bring more people into um, the so-called Islamic State. So. In that sense, social media is very much fundamental to that part of ISIS. Right. Do you think this whack-a-mole with Western services and these like basically like ISIS troll kids who like want to fight them? Do you think that back and forth and trying to shut this down is making that? Is it like a, a Western troll situation where it's making them want to do it more? Is it? Is I it think so. Egging yeah. them on, sort I of think, thing. Like they really enjoy the fact that they can just set up more accounts. <laughs> Often, if you look at these new accounts that pop up, their first tweet is, hi, I'm back. You know? <laughs> um, oh. And it's kind of like this very cartoonish, this, you know, this very cartoonish. Uh, that would be heartwarming if it wasn't so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hussein, thank you so much for, no for coming into the cardboard fort. No problem. And <laughs> we look forward to hearing more news from you. If you want to follow Hussein's writing, definitely check him out. H. Kesvani, K-E-S-V-A-N-I on Twitter. Uh, and feel free to tweet at him about grime or anime because he's a giant nerd. Um, and he is doing some great stuff. And I, I look forward to keep reading your stuff. Ellie Hall, thank you for joining us today. Hello, Ellie. Thank you so much for Welcome. having me. Huge fan. Ellie, you have been sort of following... ISIS on the internet um, and specifically about how young people in America are sort of discovering ISIS and being like, hey, that seems like that's for me and signing up, um, which look, <laughs> teenagers do a lot of cool things. This is just one of them. Um, you had you had written two stories. <laughs> Katie, they're not Green Day. <laughs> um, you've written about a, a young woman in Alabama and a, a young woman in Tennessee who like decided they were they were US citizens and they were like guess what I'm joining ISIS and you sort of had tracked them over social media what would you say is the way that they like tweet or use Facebook how are, what are they doing on social media um it it's fascinating because they're teens for the most part they're teens 20 somethings they're using the internet uh, the same way that most people use it except you know they are either fans of or members of a terrorist organization uh, so, it, yeah, you know. Of course, why not? It happens. <laughs> so it's not at all uncommon to see um, tweets about, you know, OMG, I saw a dead body, and then, you know, emojis, like, of the person holding their hands over their eyes or something. Um, but the combination of emojis and dead bodies and, you know, death to America tweets, they, they all blend together into a very weird little mix. So wait, how, before we get any further into this, like, how young are these girls and how many have actually made it from America to Syria? Like, what, what are we talking about here? It's hard to get a, a good number on that it, because of lots of people who go don't tweet. But I can think off the top of my head of about 10, 11 American women who are active from time to time because accounts get deleted and they'll pop back up sometimes an hour later, sometimes a week later. Right. Women from America who have who have made it. The youngest one, I think, is 17 and she's pregnant. Wow. So when they're being radicalized and they're, you know, trying to decide whether or not ISIS is for them, like, how does that process work? Like, how do they get groomed to eventually leave? I think that it's uh, a lot has a lot to do with 
uh, you know, your typical teenage rebellion, teenagers not knowing what their place in the world is, and kind of the same way lots of people do who don't join terrorist organizations, finding themselves through their religion. And they, they get they get very spiritual. And online, they make these friends who are equally more interested in, you know, living a, a faithful life and not so much of malls and boys and movies and stuff like that. And that it's very easy to to take, if you're a young, impressionable person, that kind of religious, you know, feel, those feelings and go down step by step into, okay, well, if you, if you believe this one thing, well, look at this. This is what these people are, are doing um, over in Syria. And a lot of it doesn't focus on, you know, the kind of stuff that we think of when we think of ISIS, uh, which, you know, obviously beheadings, horrible right. stuff. They tend to focus more on how they're taking care of kids or how they're, you know, feeding stray cats and dogs or protecting the elderly. They really feel like it's an identity thing, like when Katie was a teenager and discovered she was a furry. Exactly. But I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, teenage. I think especially that the internet has allowed teenagers to find their group, and you know whether that's like I'm a goth, I'm into other goth stuff, <laughs> or it's like I'm into ISIS. I mean, ISIS is goth is, you know, is shit. A little, like, let's be real. A little step or two further than you know being a, a goth. But I think also that I think the Internet has made young people more like socially aware than they ever have been and more interested and in tune with global affairs and politics. And, you know, whether that means they like want to get a tattoo of Bernie Sanders or they want to join <laughs> ISIS, it's like kind of the same. Totally in a way. the same. Um, how intense does this get? Like how much actually better question. How many things do ISIS girls have in common with uh, Taylor Swift fans? Oh, Lord. <laughs> no, don't answer that. But no, how, how intense is this? It's very intense, but I think the thing that makes it a little different from what we would normally think of as, you know, a, a fandom is because it's so, it, it has so much to do with their interpretation of their faith. And that that's how, that's what connects them to each other. They have a sisterhood. They actually call it a sisterhood on Twitter. Uh, they refer to each other as sisters and the as sisters and brothers, and they're all here. They're part of this. The word is, uh, they call it Bakia family. It means like lasting forever in Arabic, and ISIS supporters will chant it. Interesting. Yeah. When people come from the U.S. to Syria to join ISIS, like how are they continuing to use social media in this way? I mean, are they... They have the Twitter account that they made in the U.S. and they keep it up. They're using a phone. Like, I mean, obviously they're using a phone, but. Well, a big thing, is, um, it's not just when they get there. It, a whole lot of what's happening online is kind of both overt and behind the scenes instructions on how to get from America to Syria once you've made up your mind. You can even um, get money for your plane ticket from some of the people that you meet on online. In some cases, there was a teenager in Virginia who was just arrested for that, helping people uh, connect with people overseas who would send them money so they could get to ISIS. So kind of like crowdfunding to join ISIS. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a pretty accurate wow. thing. Um, but also there are tumblers that have these elaborate step-by-step -step instructions on what you should pack. You know, they have w versions for women, versions for men, full of advice like, um, you know, women bring your own undergarments because the bras here are really bad. Very specific advice. 
It, no, it's, it's extraordinarily wow. specific. I mean, that's like, Katie, that reminds me of Hedo Rick. Oh, yeah. He had really specific uh, <laughs> advice for when you go to the hedonism <laughs> resort for adults. It, yeah. yeah. If, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, Hedo Rick is an old man that writes about going to orgies in Jamaica. Um, yeah, and he has like really specific detailed packing instructions about like how many different kinds of sunscreen you should bring and stuff. It's, it's just like that. And my favorite, the weirdest one that I've seen recently uh, instruction is do not bring any Apple products. ISIS has banned Apple products. What? So... <laughs> 100% true. My hand to God. Um, you can only use Android uh, phones. Why? <laughs> Do you know why? Um, the explanation I've read online says that Apple phones uh, and devices are not as secure as Android oh devices. But I talked to BuzzFeed's security consultant, and he said that that's actually not true, that iPhones uh, are unbroken iPhones are actually more secure than Android. So they're wrong about that. But... That's what they're doing. No no Apple products in ISIS territory. Huh. Fascinating. That's amazing. So one of the things I think is the most interesting thing, I mean, personally, that I've seen you talk about is this character Isis Chan, which is this, like, anime cartoon of, like, a little girl who is, like, she has green hair and she's dressed in, like, all black and she's, but she's an anime character and she tries to dissuade people from joining Isis. Yes, Isis Chan um, is easily the weirdest and best thing related to Isis that I've seen on the internet since I started reporting on these stories. She kind of grew out of the Japanese internet response to when uh, the two Japanese hostages were taken and ISIS released a video saying you have to do this and this and this and this amount of time. I think, Ryan, you wrote about it for BuzzFeed.com, the website. Yeah, for me, um, as, as we said in the beginning of the show, uh, when J- when Japanese teenagers got in a meme war with ISIS, that was when I like really took an interest. It wasn't all of the geopolitics that were going on. For me, it was the anime connection. That's what really sold me on this whole ISIS thing. Um, so w- w- why... Isis Chan, like who made her? Where did she come from? What does she do? Does she have any powers? Any sort of talking pet? Like what? What's the deal? Well, she has a huge thing for melons, but I'll get into that. Apparently, it started on a Japanese image board. They they said, you know what we should do? We should make an anime girl <laughs> um, to represent right. Isis because that would really piss them off. Have this, you know, young waifu represent Isis, and immediately all these people started replying to the image board thread with their own pictures. Um, so originally, they, they this is a thing they, that is apparently common on Japanese internet. You give someone a name, uh, and, and then you give them a, like their birthday and, and how old they are and what their blood right. type is. And um, 4chan did it uh, a couple like a year ago with Ebola. They made Ebola Chan, which was like a cute Ebola mascot. Exactly. But the thing about this ISIS Chan that I don't fully understand is sort of the the, the idea that like Japanese people were like, we're gonna go and flood social media with this image because that's going to piss off real ISIS members. But do we actually know if like real people in ISIS actually saw this or reacted to it in any way? I know that some people um, have been tweeting their images at known ISIS people on Twitter. I don't know if there's been a response, but the original tactic was to Google bomb ISIS so that when you would search for an image of ISIS, instead of seeing, you know, Jihadi John or people in orange jumpsuits kneeling, you would see this anime girl. Let me try it right now. Let me try it. So I just Google searched ISIS and I'm looking for anime as I always do. The message she wants the world to know is that knives are for cutting melons. 
and uh, not not for violence. They're not for cutting heads. It's so weird because honestly, the last thing I think of a knife doing is cutting a melon. You know, it's like uh, who even eats melon? I asked about I asked about this. I actually interviewed uh, the first American member of like the ISIS Chan army, and I said like, "What's the deal with the melons?" And she said, uh, "Japanese people love musk melons. They just oh. are really into melons, and they there thought ISIS Chan huh. would be into melons too." Fair enough. I don't like melons. I think they're a horseshit fruit. Yeah, me too. But you know, I've never had a musk melon, so I don't know. That's true. Yeah. Ellie, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. I feel like we really uh, learned some stuff. Definitely nothing that Brian and I said, but a lot of the stuff that you said. If you want to follow Ellie's ongoing coverage of ISIS, definitely follow her on Twitter, Ellie V. Hall. And definitely check out her most recent piece about ISIS girls, which is titled How One Young Woman Went from Fundamentalist Christian to ISIS Bride, or The Katie Natopolis Story. Um, <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan, I'll tell you, after all I've heard, you know what? I'm ready to sign up. Yeah, I think when I was a 16-year-old in the suburbs of Massachusetts, hanging out at the uh, Liberty Tree Mall, listening to Green Day. I like how every episode comes back to you at the Liberty Tree Mall. I just, I spent a lot of time there. I saw the movie Mall Rats, and I was really inspired, and I just wanted to be a mall rat. And I think about, like, how I was, like, a young man who was, like, you know, a little feeling a little aggressive and listening to like bad religion and shit and joined a punk band and like wanted to do all this stuff and how it is pretty far away from like moving to Syria and killing people. But at the same time, like the emotional core, I, I understand. Like I understand like that feeling of lostness and like weird identity shit and how the internet, you know, Hussein mentioned MySpace and like shit, like I did a lot of really weird stuff on MySpace and like went to weird corners. Like, I don't know. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I see that too. I mean, again, I I don't necessarily personally relate to wanting to join a religion and politics based group that I would move to another country for that also like has a kind of spotty history with killing people. Um, yeah, just a, you know. But like the stuff you were talking about about you know be, the basic glee of trolling, like when you get your Twitter account kicked off and you come back and you're not like. Oh, I'm really upset. You're like, ha ha, I got kicked <laughs> off. And you like celebrate. I mean, like, I 100% relate to that. Like, I've gotten kicked off so many different social media accounts. And I always take that as like a, a sign of success. It's like a celebration. Right. It's like, I got kicked off Foursquare for trolling. Like, you got to work hard Wait, for that. How did you get kicked off Foursquare? I would just every night before I went to bed. I would lie in bed and I would open up Foursquare and I would find all my neighbors like personal homes that they had right. set up as locations and everyone would have like a sort of like jokey thing like they'd be like the friendship hut or whatever and sure. I would check into all their homes until I became <laughs> the mayor of all of their homes. I did that in college. I did that in college a ton. Yeah, and one one of the I think that most people set them up and then basically never use them again. They never noticed. There was one neighbor who I couldn't she must have checked into her own home every single day. And, and so Foursquare banned you? One set of neighbors got sort of perplexed that this stranger kept checking into their home, and one of them started, like, messaging me, and it was really weird because I actually, like, I kind of knew him, like, through the internet. Like, I knew his, like, band photography blog, and uh, I think eventually they complained about me, and then one day I just I couldn't never log in again. Wow. 
If you are a member of ISIS and want to recruit Katie to your social media team, uh, please email <laughs> internetexplorer at BuzzFeed.com. But I want to thank our guests, and I definitely want to give them a shout-out again. Hussein Kazvani, H-K-E-S-V-A-N-I is his screen name on Twitter, and L-E-V Hall on Twitter. Both of them are amazing. They're doing some really incredible stuff. Both of them are giant nerds, so please bug them. Send them ISIS memes. I also uh, want to give a shout out to the production team from this this show. This podcast is produced by Julia Furlan and edited by Jenna Weiss-Berman with production support from Eleanor Kagan and Meg Kramer. All of them are fucking terrible. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? Meg Kramer is new. She just started Actually, BuzzFeed. Yeah. Today was her first day recording with us, and I think that she's probably ready to quit. She's like, if Katie threatens to fuck Ryan's dad one more time, I'm leaving. And then you did it. You threat, you kept threatening to fuck my dad, and now she's gone. We, we lost a producer because of your wanton lust for older men. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Can you also say congratulations, Katie, for marrying um, Ryan's dad and now being his stepmother? Don't say that. Don't say that. Oh, congratulations, Ryan, on your new stepmother. Katie's not going to marry my dad. Katie can't marry my dad. I don't want Katie to be my mom. (laughs) 